Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. Star Valley this weekend, visiting our family down there. And I just want to say, if you have not got the chance to go visit our campus in Star Valley, they are doing some incredible things down there. Um, And God is moving and he's opening up doors and our, our church family down there is just growing. And if you guys would just lift that up in prayer, they're growing out of their building so quickly that they need a new building. That is pretty amazing, isn't it? Well, I would love to say I'm super excited for tonight, but I'm a little nervous. I'm just going to be honest. Um, But I know you all will be kind to me. So um, as you saw on the screen, we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul. And I have um, titled this Persecutor to Preacher. So I'm going to give you a little summary of what has happened so far until we get up to the... um, into Acts 9. So we've had the day of Pentecost. The church is growing in Jerusalem. It is just exponentially just growing and the apostles are out there. They're preaching, they're ministering to people. And then we have the first Christian martyr, Stephen is killed. And then there's this great wave of persecution on the Christians that come over. And this is where we find the conversion of the apostle Paul in scripture. So we're going to go to Acts 9. Um, I'm going to read kind of the whole story of this up front because we're going to pick parts out of it that we're really going to hone in on tonight. But I want you to hear the whole thing first. So Acts 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So we went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, 
for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to dive into your word, Lord, and to show us the transformation that you had in the Apostle Paul. Help us all to be transformed by your word and by the encounters that we have with you. As we go out from this place, Lord, let us be transformation bringers, Lord, to our community, to our cities, to our families, Lord. Lord, I just bless this time to you in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So to fully understand this story, we really need to understand who Saul was. So there's just this huge transformation of Saul to Paul from persecutor to preacher. And there's so many nuances that we can pull out of this little part of scripture. And I'm gonna go through three of them today. So Saul was born in Tarsus, which was a fairly large city of about a half a million people in Southeast Asia Minor, which is now modern day Turkey. And it was on a major land route and it was also accessible by the Mediterranean Sea. And it was very much Greek culture there, but it was under Roman rule. And it had this university there that actually was well known for producing um, great philosophical debaters of the time. And at this time of Saul's upbringing in the Jewish community, there was three major influences. One we see in the Greek culture. And as we know that Tarsus was filled with the Greek culture, Saul actually grew up speaking Greek. He knew it very well. And God would use this in a very unique way later on. The second is the Roman Empire. And for Saul, he actually belonged to a very minority of Jews that held Roman citizenship. Now, the Gospels are not really clear on how he got that Roman citizenship, but it actually will have some pretty significant privileges as he goes on in his ministry. And the third was the Jewish religion. And Saul was brought up as a Jewish Pharisee. So all three of these influences sculpted who Saul was, but probably none more so at this time than his upbringing as a Pharisee. See, the Pharisees, they were a sec section of Judaism that really had this unbinding loyalty to scripture. They desired to strictly live by the laws. But in their desire to live by these laws, they had developed all of these regulations and traditions that actually took precedent over what the laws were actually saying. And it became such a burden on the people that Christ had actually brought condemnation on them because of that. And why did they do this? The Pharisees actually had a strong belief in the Jewish nationalism, and they had a strong belief of being separate from the Gentiles those that were of non-Jewish belief. They desired to be separate from them, and this desire 
came at a price. They became very prideful. They became very self-righteous. And they looked down on the Gentiles with just discontent. And what we see here is they failed to recognize God's grace in all of our faith journeys. And the word Pharisee actually in Hebrew means to separate. They, like I said, they had this high esteem for scripture and they were well versed in it. They were actually highly regarded in the Jewish community. They actually wielded a lot of power. And this is the atmosphere that Saul was brought up in to be a Pharisee. He knew scripture well. And by the age of 13, he was sent off to Jerusalem to learn under some of the greatest teachers of that time. And Saul developed this arrogance and this self-righteousness. He had this zeal for the Pharisee beliefs. And this led to him aggressively pursuing the persecutions of Christians with beatings, imprisonment, and even death. Yet this is the man that God used to write two-thirds of the book of the New Testament. So how did this transformation happen? How did Saul the persecutor become Paul the preacher? The first thing that we're going to pull out is in verse 3, which says, As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. See, our first thing is that Saul was on his own mission versus God's mission. Saul thought his mission and his whole purpose in life was to be a good Pharisee and bring down the heresy of Christianity. And he went to Damascus on his mission to stop the spread of Christianity because Damascus was another big trading center within the Roman Empire. It had roads leading out in every direction. And Saul thought, if I can stop it here, I'm going to stop it from spreading. But instead, God shows Saul that he was on the wrong mission. See, Saul was believed so much in his mission as a Pharisee. His father was a Pharisee. He probably even thought his children would carry on this tradition. And then he takes this trip to Damascus and God blinds him so he can no longer proceed on his mission. See, Saul was so confused and blinded to the truth about Jesus that God had to make him blind for him to see his true mission to the Gentiles. Sometimes we have to lose our sight to gain God's vision. Sometimes we have to be broken down of our mission. Your mission might be whatever you think it is. It might be your work. I don't know what your mission, what you think your mission is. But until we really understand what God's mission is for us, sometimes we have to be broken down and lose sight of that to gain God's vision. The other thing about our mission is often it becomes our identity. Saul's total identity was that of being a good Pharisee. And he was a good Pharisee. Scripture tells us that he was very well known. He was knowledgeable and he's respected by his peers. And we actually see him at the stoning of Stephen. And although he didn't throw one stone... He was there and he approved of it. We see all of the other people involved in that. They come and they lay their coats at the foot of Saul because they respected him. And that was a sign of respect in their culture. He was so consumed by his mission of stopping Christianity that that became his identity. And why is identity important? It's because who we believe we are affects every aspect of our life. It affects how we speak about ourselves, how we speak to others, how we interact with others, how we view situations, 
how we engage in those situations. Our identity impact, impacts how we engage the world. I'm going to pick up my husband for a minute. I, <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes you will see people that they will act and have an identity in one situation, and then with you, they're totally different. Did anybody have those people in your life? So for those of you that don't, my husband is a twin. He has an identical twin brother named Josh. And I noticed this very early on when we were dating. When him and Josh get together, their voices change. And they start talking to each other in this tone of voice that I'm like, what is that? And I don't know, I think it's just a twin thing. But that's the thing I'm talking about. People will go in and they will change depending on what they see going on around them. If we're not grounded in our identity in Christ, we survey situations. We'll go into a situation or a room and we'll see who's there, what's going on. And that'll determine what our next steps are, right? It determines how we act. But as Christians, we need to fully understand our mission and act accordingly no matter what the situation we walk into. We're always to be walking into a room as a representative of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it calls us an ambassador of Christ. There is something about us knowing who we are in Christ and what he has done for us that makes us change how we interact with this world. No matter what the situation is, we don't get to change our identity as Christians like we change our clothes <laughs> or you change the oil in your car, right? We always keep that on and that's how we engage the world. I um, think it's very ironic that Saul the Pharisee who would do anything not to be caught up with the Gentiles, to be seen with them, to be interacting with them, is the very people that God sent him to minister to. Because God flipped that whole mission that he had on poor Saul. I, um, my husband and I got married 27 plus years ago. Yeah, woo woo. <laughs> um, we, uh, when we were engaged, I went for months and I was telling my husband, I don't think I'm going to change my last name. And he was kind of like, oh, okay, like not really knowing what's going on. You see, and I, I just mulling it over because I have a strong heritage as a Montanan in this state. On one side of my family, I'm a fourth generation Montanan. And on the other side of my family, I'm a fifth-generation Montanan, which means that my great-great-grandfather, I think I got that right, homesteaded in this state before it was a state, when it was still a, a territory. And so I told him, and when he asked me why, I was like, well, as a chef, which was my maiden name, we have a long history here, and people know that. But as a Johnson, I could be anybody. Like, you know how many people have the last name Johnson? But I, I obviously changed my, my last name. And I had to get over that little pride thing of like, I, I know who I am with this name. Saul had the same thing. See, a lot of people think that God actually changed Saul's name like he did Jacob when he changed Jacob's name to Israel. But that's not what happened. See, it was very common in that time for people to have two names, and especially people that were of Jewish descent and had Roman citizenship. 
See, Saul was his Hebrew name. And as a Pharisee, he wanted to be a good Jew, and he used the name Saul. That was his identity, was Saul. And Saul means one asked for it or desired. And what did Saul have? He wanted to be asked for. He wanted to be desired. He wanted that position. He wanted that self-righteousness in that respect. But he had a second name, which was Paul, which was his Greek name, which means small and little or humble. See, he chose the identity of Paul when he went to the Gentiles. When he had that encounter with Christ, he went from Saul, the arrogant, self-righteous, status-chasing Pharisee, to Paul, the humble servant of the Lord. Let's move on. We see in our passage in verse 10 and 12, we see God tell Ananias to go find Saul. And look at Ananias' response here in verse 13. But Lord, exclaims Ananias, I've heard Many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he has the authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon his name. And God corrects him. But the Lord says, go, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, Ananias, he questions God here. Why does he question him? Because he knows what Saul has been doing. He knows what his past record has been. And our past can impact how we see, how other people see us. So the second point is we need to learn to use our past. I am, I'm not a big person, social media person. I, I, I have Facebook, but I don't have Instagram or Snapchat or all that other stuff. I do have Pinterest. It's probably my favorite social media and probably my husband's worst favorite social media because I'm always finding things on there like, hey, we can make this. He's always gracious and we usually do. But, um, but I, I'm not a big social media person, but about 10 and 12 years ago, somewhere around in there, I was really kind of diving into my faith and I was posting a lot of things about my faith on social media. And I noticed a couple days later, that this old friend of mine, who I really hadn't talked to in quite a while, but we had gone to school from kindergarten all the way through high school. We actually even left and went to college together for a little bit. She had posted this thing on there that I'm very paraphrasing because I don't have that good a memory. But it was something to the effect of, I can't believe how many people on here now call themselves religious. I do remember there was quotes around that. When I know who you are and what you've done. And I was like, whoa, is she talking about me? Like that was my reaction. And it made me stop for a moment and go, whoa, wait a minute. Have I really changed? Am I really a new creation? See, she knew me as the 18-year-old who went away to college, who was more interested in making friends and chasing cute boys and going to parties than going to class and worrying about my education. She knew me as the 18-year-old that dropped out of college because she was basically flunking everything. That's who she knew me. She didn't know me as the transformed me of when I met Jesus. 
right? I, see, and I didn't have any Damascus Road experience like Saul did. I didn't have a, you know, light shining down from heaven and a booming voice and this, oh, Angela. I didn't have that. Mine was kind of more this quiet, just slow pull to Jesus. But when I finally let him take my heart, I didn't want that old self. To be a true believer in Jesus means that we have to change. We have to let that go. And if I hadn't changed, that old friend of mine had every right to call me out. But thank you, Jesus, I was not that 18-year-old girl anymore. I don't know who wants to go back to their glory days, not me. But if I had believed what this one person had said and thought that I had not changed, I would have taken my past as my future. And I'd probably not be on this stage in front of you tonight. Our past can either be the thing that holds us captive or the thing that propels us forward into what God has for us. Think of it like a bow and arrow, right? The further you pull back that and you put that tension, thanks Seth for that tension word, um, the further that arrow is going to go. See, the arrow is our future, but that bow is our past. And the more we pull it back and the more we use that for God, the further we're going to go for what he has for us, who he says us we are, what he says our mission is. See, even after Paul's conversion, he still didn't have it easy with the other apostles. They didn't trust him. After all, he was the one that was out there killing them. But Saul was able to bear fruit by his changed life, his witness, and his preaching, not in spite of his past, but because of his past. His personal encounter with Jesus drew countless people to Jesus. Saul, the persecutor, became Paul, the preacher, because of his encounter, because of his past. People can give their lives to Christ, and they can have that transformation moment and understand that they are a different creation because our past does not define us. One of my favorite quotes, and I don't even know who said it, but it's one of my favorites, says, the greatest proof of Christianity is the transformation of Paul. Because only God could change Saul into Paul. Only God can change the heart of a persecutor to the heart of a preacher. And if an encounter with Christ can do that to Saul, the persecutor of Christians, what can he do through us? See, I fully believe we should not live in our past, but we also need to be able to utilize our past because in our past, that's where our testimony is. And our testimony is what points people to Jesus. When we know Jesus, our future can change. Our identity changes. Our mission changes. And that's why Paul's story is so powerful because it lets any of us know if God can take that guy and make him one of the most powerful preachers there is, Come on, what can he do with little old me? Right? Let's continue in the story. Um, we're going to jump down to verse 17. It says, As Ananias went and found Saul, he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. He got up, was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. 
Saul stayed in Damascus with the believers for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. And here's where our third point comes in. We have to have a full understanding of the cross. This declaration by Saul saying he is indeed the Son of God was just that. He finally understood who Jesus was. He finally understood the sacrifice on the cross. So my question for you today is, do you fully understand what the cross represents? Or better yet, do you fully accept what the cross represents? See, Saul the Pharisee, he did not understand the cross. He didn't accept what happened there. And it took him losing his sight so that he could see what the cross was. It took him releasing his past. It took him changing his identity for him finally to accept what it was. I think a lot of times we'll accept the cross and then something will happen, right? We go through a trial. We lose somebody or someone says something on Facebook and we're like, ooh, wait a minute. And then we start to doubt the fullness of the cross and we let that doubt disqualify us. You might hear, no, that cross is not for you. It can't do anything for you. You are too far gone. Your past is too much. But we can't let our sins and our past and our wounds or our lack of formal knowledge keep us from sharing Jesus. The conversion of Saul is a reminder that the most important thing about evangelizing to people is our relationship with Jesus. We see this shift in Paul from a man who is chasing after status and approval to a man chasing after God's heart, who's a man that was disgusted by the Gentiles to a man who was chasing them for Jesus. This person who was giving the lashings was now receiving the lashings, all because he understood the fullness of the cross. The most effective way that we can witness is with our personal experience. And why did God choose Saul for this task? And when he finally understood the full magnitude of the cross, that was the person that God needed. He needed his knowledge. He needed his background to carry the name of Jesus an estimated 10,000 miles from one end of the Roman Empire to the other. He needed a man that would labor for 30 years through three shipwrecks, five beatings of 39 lashes each, three beatings with a rod, a public stoning that nearly killed him, and no less than five imprisonments. And he didn't give up. See, God didn't need an eloquent speaker. He needed a relentless doer. He needs someone that would go against the powers of the day and would bring his message, the same person that came from those powers. But he was transformed by this encounter with Jesus. And time and time again, they tried to beat him down, they prisoned him. But Paul kept going. We have beautiful letters from him in prison. Beautiful letters. And that's what God needs today. He needs us to be Christians that are not going to back down. We're not going to pour into the selfishness and the lies that we hear constantly or the false teachings. I saw this quote the other day that says, real freedom comes when we no longer have to prove our freedom. 
And I believe real faith in Jesus comes when we no longer have to prove that we are a changed person. When we no longer, no longer feel the need to tell people that we are changed, we understand who Christ is. Because it's Christ's love on that cross that changes our identity, that changes our mission, that makes us want to be that changed person and no longer be a follower of this world. See, if my past experiences and the messes that I made cannot become a message for God's love and mercy, then I don't understand the cross. And if my tests and trials don't become that testimony that glorifies God, I don't understand what Jesus did there. If people can't look at me and see that I was once young and dumb, and now I'm not so young and hopefully not so young, then I'm doing something wrong. We have the worship team come up here. So whether you're in this place right now and you're a new believer who feels like you have a laundry list of things that you need to change, or you're a longtime follower of Christ that needs to really hone in to what your true identity is or your true mission, the point here is, that we always need to be moving forward in understanding the cross. The fact is that God never changes so that we can change. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and will be tomorrow. Why? Because we need a target to aim at with our arrow that is straight and never moves. Paul's conversion is as miraculous as any in scripture, maybe in all of history of Christianity. And yours might not have been nearly as dramatic, but as long as it represents a dramatic change in you, that's all that matters. That's what God wants. God wants to use that. He wants to use it to form a new identity in him, to help you find your new mission, and to help you walk in the fullness and the understanding of the cross. So today, if you're sitting in here and you are struggling with any of those, your identity, your mission, fully understanding the cross or not being able to let go of your past and let God use it, my challenge is, is to come here before the Lord and ask him to show you that. Ask him to help you release and fully surrender Ask him to take you from your past life into a new life as an ambassador of Christ. We're gonna have our prayer teams up here. We're gonna open up the altars. And as I pray out, I want you to really think about which one of those. We all have a place we need to work on, but let's not leave here without really taking that to the Lord and understand that full understanding of what the cross is to us and what it represents. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not change so that we can change, so we can find our true identity in who you say we are, so you can give us a new mission as ambassadors of you. Lord, help us to be able to utilize our past, not to dwell there, but to utilize it for your kingdom work. And help us to come into a full understanding of what happened on that cross, what it means in our lives. 
and how we are to reflect that to the world around us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolmt.com. Thanks.